Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton, Women Emerging Director and your podcast host. For weeks now, we've been speaking to women about leading and about what they've learned about leading and asking them to illustrate each of the learnings with an object. This episode is interrupting the series. Why? Because of events. Because of events in Armenia, a country that I feel close to. Because of friendships and because of an admiration for a country that has been and has been battered by wars, geopolitics and genocide. In the last few weeks, the situation has been getting infinitely worse in Nagorno-Karabakh. And yesterday, a dear, one of my dearest of friends, Ruben Vardayan, was arrested as he left Karabakh for Armenia. And he was thrown into a prison in Azerbaijan. Why? Because he did what we all talk about doing. He stood up as a leader. He went to his people. He led them. He lived amongst them as they suffered. And the more he led, the more he became a target. Reuben is a an enormous big bear of a man. He has the kindest of eyes and he also has one of the most beautiful of wives, Veronica, who is also one of my dearest friends. But this podcast is about leading and about women leading. So I decided this year, this week, to interview a young woman called Arpen who works in a school in Armenian and whose family is in Karabakh and have been there for seven generations. I'm going to talk to her about courage, about how you lead and you continue to lead and how you continue with your day job when you're terrified for your family and for your country, and when you feel the weight of Armenian history on your shoulders, and also when you have this ominous feeling that history might be about to repeat itself. As we record, I hope that someday soon, Ruben, you'll be able to listen to this episode and be proud of Arpen. So so first I'm going to talk to Arpen about the context of Armenia and the context of her family and in, in a way why her fear is so deep. And, and then we'll talk about how you lead with courage, how you combine 
because this this thread of combining has become so interesting to us all. How you can combine as a leader vulnerability and strength. Because um, I suppose as you get more frightened, there's a danger that you that you close off. Um, you close yourself off as a leader as you get more frightened as you get more as you get really vulnerable you close yourself off when as a leader possibly you need to open yourself up but having said that not open yourself up too much but let me let me let me let Arpen talk you through this because her words are much more powerful than mine. Arpen, I really want to eventually talk to you about how do you lead when you're frightened, when courage is called for, and how do you combine showing vulnerability but also showing strength and how do you do both and um, so there is so much we want to talk about but before we get there let's talk about to some extent why you are so frightened at the moment what is happening in Armenia what is happening in Nagorno-Karabakh and why and what is happening to your family Tell us. Um, Julia, right now, uh, my country and my people are going through a tragedy, a disaster, because uh, Armenians living in Nagorno-Karabakh, which was historically part of Armenia, but um, at the beginning of the 20th century, when the world was being uh, redesigned, following the First World War, uh, Nagorno-Karabakh was uh, uh, by by uh, a political agreement became part of Azerbaijan. Armenians continued living there. Uh, they had a special status. It was called an autonomous district with a limited um, rights and powers. Um, they continued to live there until yesterday. <laughs> so as of now, as a result of a large-scale war in 2020, followed by a blockade uh, by Azerbaijan, when people were deprived of all supplies, food, um, medicine, um, no mobility at all, only uh, very limited movement of patients, critical, critically ill people uh, through Red Cross uh, convoys. Um, and then a one-day military operation. As of now, half of the ethnic Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh have arrived in Armenia already, and we expect the others to arrive by the end of this week and um, the 
republic and the administration which was governing um, Nagorno-Karabakh in the past 30 years will cease to exist by the end of this year. So this is the situation. My family lived in Nagorno-Karabakh for seven generations. At least we know of seven generations. So my mother arrived last night. She was on the road for three days because of the mass exodus, the road was, uh, it was impossible to drive. So um, just for you to imagine, they crossed the the small section of the road from Stepanakert, uh, the city, till to the border of Armenia for two days. It's about 100 kilometers less. Um, so I met my mom yesterday. She was in shock. She, I think she's not fully realizing because of the shock, but they were prepared for this after, after a siege lasting for nine months with, they literally, um, cooked the last piece of food and, and hit the road. And you and your mother, I'm sorry, your mother and her sisters, I think, your aunts, her have, sister, seen, my aunt. have seen enough violence. And they've seen themselves to know that it's, it's not worth waiting around. Yeah. They've seen four wars. The first one, the the first war in 91, started in 91 and ended in 94. Then um, 2020. And in between there were escalations in 2016. And um, on, on September 19, just two weeks ago. <laughs> Tell me, you once described Nagorno-Karabakh to me as, as almost, it smells like the seaside. It doesn't yes. make any sense because it's a landlocked country. Why does yes. it smell like the seaside? Um, it's, it's one of my childhood memories, actually. Um, a lush forest, imagine, a lot of evergreen trees, mild winters, humid air and um, white stone. So uh, the local, uh, all the local architecture is around this white sandstone. You will see it everywhere. And in, in Stepanakert, which was the biggest town and the capital, um, you had this feeling that you will cross the street, walk a block and see the sea. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> you could smell it yes <laughs> and it's a place of of vegetables oh yes <laughs> it's a place of uh, delicious and uh, organic produce uh, because it was underdeveloped and not much attention was paid to people in Nagorno-Karabakh during the Soviet years, 
Um, so modern technologies passed by. <laughs> so people were using uh, their traditional knowledge and skills to grow, to grow their food, and um, yeah, it was particularly delicious. I still have a handful of nuts, which I keep at home. We're not eating them. <laughs> what what kind of nuts? Hazelnuts. <laughs> so. So what have you learned about leading over the last few weeks? Um, in general. Just yourself. When you listen to the radio, what when you when you walk the streets, when you think about yourself, when you you try to have conversations with your mm-hmm with your family over the phone, what, what, what do you learn about? And also when you try to carry on doing your normal job in the school, what do you, have you, has anything really hit you that actually leadership is really about what? Um, I will now start thinking aloud. <laughs> of course. Um we start thinking about leadership when we feel there is no leadership i don't know if you agree or not because we suddenly realize that we're in chaos so i i don't like analyzing politics it's not rewarding because a lot is taking place behind closed doors and we never learn what happened in reality and maybe we will never learn what happened over the past few years. Uh, but um, we've, we have this um, feeling that it was poor leadership in some cases, because right now we were talking about humanitarian issues, which is the aspect which we see, which we witness, which we experience, so we know firsthand. Uh, but um, we also feel that um, the political goals, the political um, principles maybe were not set correctly. And um, that's why the conflict actually couldn't be resolved through peace. Um, In Armenia, we speak about our perspective of the conflict in Azerbaijan, they have their perspective. These two perspectives never meet in Armenia or in Azerbaijan. But um, so perhaps, you learn a lot uh, about leadership when there is an absence of it. So when it comes to people, um, I on these days I think I wonder. Uh, because it's it's always easy to criticize, but I wonder what the people who are trying to organize life of whoever is left in Nagorno-Karabakh, what their routine looks like uh, and what it takes to stand and continue doing what they're doing. And 
it's courage, as you said. It's um, first of all courage to make a decision, because leadership is first of all about making decisions and standing by your decisions, and to be able to review your decisions. And um, sometimes it's about doing nothing, um, because it's also a an important skill to pause to put things on hold. Um, when this recent escalation happened on September 19th, uh, um, everybody was devastated. And uh, in our school, we have students from Artsakh whose families were uh, in, in Artsakh at the moment, in Nagorno-Karabakh. And one of them couldn't contact them for for days. So we had to pull ourselves together and support these children, forgetting about our own shock, our own uh, frustration, our own fear, because we are responsible for these children. How do you combine that, that elegant thing of combining being vulnerable and, and talking about your fears and being vulnerable, but also being strong for people? How, how do you, how do you, how do you put those two together? Because everybody these days talks about, you know, leadership is about vulnerability. It's not actually, is it? When you're really vulnerable, then it's not about vulnerability. Um, people are sometimes cruel. We don't like, um, maybe I'm being too honest and let our listeners uh, not criticize me on the spot. Just try to understand what I'm trying to say. But um, it takes courage to be empathic. To empathy requires courage. And... Um, we like being beside strong people deep inside why there can be several reasons because it makes us feel more confident we feel we can rely on these people and once we feel we're responsible for someone we might be filled with fear <laughs> so yes leadership is being vulnerable, but also it's the ability to to think about your vulnerability, to be aware and try to uh, try to act in a way as to first of all keep yourself intact and keep your integrity and uh, continue leading. Because 
people need you to be strong. Yes. People want you to be strong and expect you to be strong. Even when you don't feel it. Yes. You said something to me the other day before your family had arrived and before the big changes. I remember you you said to me, um, it's all predictable now. It was yes. easier when it was unpredictable because when it was unpredictable, there was still a tiny little bit of room for hope. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what you meant then. Um, when you know what the outcome is going to be and I'm not I'm not boasting now but uh, uh, we were expecting this to happen although we didn't talk about it loud because not everybody around is ready to hear that and um, so, and maybe even though we realized, we still hoped because so many actors are involved in politics and, you know, things may change. Um, but um, maybe it's also fear. We, we feared confessing, we feared admitting, because that's also a possibility. But then, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about my, my own case. Um, so my, my mother was, um, over these nine months, I would call her and say how are you she would say oh well we're, we're good everything is fine <laughs> and then uh, on the day of the attack on September 19 uh, she she no longer said I'm, I'm good and that's that's when you know that it's inevitable the people can't can't stay there any longer and it's still the initial shock. It's going to be very hard for them. And so in this situation, we said, don't worry, just we're here. Um, everything is going to be fine and try to cheer them up. But of course, when you switch off the telephone, you're heartbroken um, because the human human tragedies um, it's it's always heartbreaking. You can't you can't be stiff and politics is different. <laughs> Talk to me about. How you are going to lead people who feel the humiliation of defeat, whether whether it is right to feel the humiliation, this is humiliation or not, 
to some extent is irrelevant. People will, and and I suspect you will. So how do you lead people who feel so lost and humiliated? And how do you lead them even more when you feel lost and humiliated yourself? Um, Julia, thank you for saying the word humiliation because right now that's the best word to describe the situation that Armenia is going through. But um, we will overcome it. Why? Because... Um, uh, you must overcome it. And in this situation, um, we must stop uh, thinking about the past, at least for now, and focus on the present and start planning the future. Otherwise, um, we'll be lost forever. And it's not easy to to go through this feeling, but thankfully it's temporary. And, you know, uh, a human being is an exceptional phenomenon. It, it can um, get over everything. It can... Uh, dream it can continue to plan and live and um, we the, the the statistic says that at least one third of people who are now displaced to Armenia are children which gives us hope they will grow up Hopefully, they will forget about what they went through. And our task now is to, to create a situation in which they quickly integrate, find your way, learn, grow, and uh, become the best version of themselves and continue living. I think you have just described leadership. <laughs> I work in a school, sorry, I work in a school. We have children from 80 countries. Many of them have seen war. Many of them are from countries which are now at war. So it's not only about uh, Armenians, it's about all the children, because um, this is not what they deserve. And that's why, um, that's why we need to do everything to, to empower them. Wars will happen. You can't, you can't expect that the world will be a perfect place but at least we need to empower these kids and not let them be broken by, by these situations. It's the best we can do as humans. And to do that as a leader, 
you have to tell the stories of vulnerability. You have to show mm -hmm. that you're human and you feel it as too. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you have to give people hope because otherwise it's hopeless. <laughs> and I want to add, we also need to teach people not to hate because I learned, I personally learned from this conflict, which we experienced firsthand, that once you start hating, once hatred leads you, you're lost. <laughs> it will not lead you anywhere. Have your goals. Have your uh, mission. And hatred shouldn't be the, the force leading you in whatever you do, because... It's it's obvious hatred can't be a goal. It can't lead you. It can't be the dominating emotion. Right now, I think people are filled with hatred, with anger, with uh, frustration, with denial, you know. With humiliation. All because of humiliation. But it it must be well, it's it's okay to feel hatred, but only for some time. Hatred shouldn't be uh your you can't be dominated by hatred. You must contain your hatred and think about your goals, not to, to, to succeed. And by the way, um, what we're trying to teach our students is to learn living together as people. Arpen, you, I know that you nearly said no to doing this interview. What persuaded you to do it? I wanted to say all these things after second thought because um, at some point I was thinking that uh, talking about humiliation will make me vulnerable, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to look vulnerable. But then I realized that um, there is so much to tell. Um, there is so much to share. While we cannot affect geopolitical situations, we can we can talk to people. We can share, and um, and then I realized that um, why? Well, we should also be vulnerable at some point. Uh, that's also a learning process. You learn to be strong. You learn what makes you weak. What 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 are your strong sides? Yeah, we shouldn't be afraid of being vulnerable sometimes. Thank you, Arpen. Thank you. And we wish great love to your mother. Um, 
I don't think I have anything to add. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.